Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, for this special all-Trump issue of uh, the Week in Review as we take a look at the uh, historic ramblings of uh, Donald Trump this week, along with his historic indictment. So stick around. We have with us our normal cast of characters, John Bennett from editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and uh, it, I, it's rumored that he sleeps with the Constitution as his bedpiece. So he knows all of what we're going to talk about coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back as we unpack this week's adventures. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. Once again with me, uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editors at uh, large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And we're going to start out, of course, with what everyone is talking about this week. History was made as a federal grand jury in Florida indicted former <laughs> President Donald Trump. I almost stumbled over those words. Former President Donald Trump for a variety of reasons, and we're going to get to those. Uh, the two grand juries that we know are in session, and I don't think either one of them have been dismissed, so we'll go over all the legal ramifications of that, what the charges were. And so, uh, Michael, we're going to start with you. What what did we see this week? We heard a lot, but what did we actually see? What was history made? What was made was the indictment of a former president of the United States. Now, a lot has been made of that, of course, but had Gerald Ford not pardoned Richard Nixon, this would be the second indictment of a former president. And so while much is said of this, it was only because of the pardon that we're in this unique moment. And of course, we are not unique among Western democracies for indicting former uh, leaders. Just today, it's breaking that Scotland's former leader, leader Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, I think his name is, was arrested um, in for uh, finance violations. So this is not unprecedented in Western democracies. And just by happenstance of a pardon, it wouldn't have been unprecedented in the United States. But it, it happened, and what Trump was accused of was 
taking documents that he wasn't entitled to take, hiding those documents, obstructing the efforts to get them back, and most tellingly, sharing the information contained in those classified documents with others. The two counts that relate to the sharing, paragraphs 34 and 35 of the indictment, I think are the most problematic for the former president because he may have an argument, I don't think it's really availing, that he had a good faith belief that he was entitled to them and all he was trying to do was maintain his property. So he wasn't trying to obstruct and he and and he wasn't um mishandling because they were they were his. That that you know may be. But sharing them with people not authorized to receive them, there's no real defense to that under the I thought they were mine defense because in one of those cases, the case of the uh, attack plans against Iran, he says, look, this is a classified document. I, I could have declassified it, but I didn't. But let's you know, sort of talk about it. That's a big problem from a, a legal standpoint. So the case has been set for trial in Florida. The prosecutors made a tactical decision to try the case in Florida, even though they would have had a home court advantage in D.C., the other place it could have been charged. And Trump has a home court advantage in Florida. But there's a difficult legal question about which of those two jurisdictions was the better of the two legally to bring them in, you know, what law required. And they right. decided to avoid that fight by bringing them in Florida. So there they are in Florida. <clears throat> they were assigned, the court says, randomly to the same judge who handled the first phase of the Mar-a-Lago uh, indictments, the right. search warrant and the appointment of a special ma master, where she was resoundingly reversed by the 11th Circuit in an, in an opinion that was um, embarrassing, I think, for a district court judge. So the question is going to be, will she keep this case? Will she recuse herself from it? Will the chief judge of the district ask her to recuse herself so as to eliminate this issue of uh, a, a judge who appears to have uh, either insufficient experience to handle a case like this or a political bias. Either way, um, I think the better course would be for her to step aside voluntarily, assign it to a judge who's more experienced. Remember, she's only been on the court for two or three years. Right. And let the case proceed through discovery and and trial. All right. So cut, let me unpack a couple of questions that come from the charges. John, you can jump in uh, after that. First of all, the um, and we'll get into the the uh, argument back and forth about her being the judge in a second. But there were a couple things <clears throat> in the indictment that um, I thought was that were there are those who saying <clears throat> Alan Dershowitz, for example, is saying the only one that really bothers him is that one page where he showed it to someone and he said, uh, Hey, listen, take a look at it, but not too close. It might burn your retinas or something, you know, because it's 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 classified. Don't don't look at it too close. But what stood out to me were the type of documents that we're talking about. They are from the CIA, the Department of Defense, National Security Agency, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the National Reconnaissance Office, the Department of Energy and the Department of State and Bureau of In 
intelligence and research. And some of these are very, they, they regard uh, strat, uh, strategic goals of the U.S. Um, yeah, there's some Iranian um, defense stuff in there as well as nuclear. Is this, now there are those who are saying, look, this is nothing. It, the Presidential Records Act protects Donald Trump and these were his. Um, the, the, it, obviously, this is not the case, right? I mean, looking at the facts, bereft of any politics, these are some serious documents and the uh, Presidential Records Act does not protect Donald Trump in this case, correct? If that's directed to me, yes. the answer is uh, yes and yes. Uh, for the listening audience who can pull up the indictment on um, the internet, what they should start with is paragraph three. And in that paragraph, it says that Trump stored in his house information re regarding national defense and weapons capabilities of the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. These are, as you say, among the more serious types of documents that you could imagine uh, are out there. And so it's not, you know, sort of the bread and butter overclassification type of document. Documents relating to United States nuclear programs, those are documents that I don't believe the president could even, as president, right. unilaterally declassified. I think the Atomic Energy Commission has to have to opine on atomic energy, atomic uh, nuclear program uh, related stuff. So the documents are, are, are serious. And then second, the, the notion that he can keep these are undercut by an executive order that Obama signed that Trump left in office. It's called Executive Order 13526, if people want to look it up which pretty much says, I'm sorry, Mr. Former President, your analysis is in incorrect. The notion that these are purely private um, documents is, is not the truth. The records belong to the uh, government under the terms of the executive order, which you left in place, and therefore claims to the contrary are unavailing legally. And so it'll be very interesting if you have the if you have a a judge who's going to follow the law, and most of them I think try to. Um, the defense of I thought they were mine or they were mine shouldn't be permitted in court because it's not a defense because the law doesn't allow him to keep these documents. But so yes, Brian, serious documents which he had no legal right to retain. And you could say, well, you know, that's a that's a quarrel under the Presidential Records Act, and you know, Biden kept documents and Pence kept documents, but as I said, the sharing of those documents and then the scheme to obstruct right is is also a very telling part of this indictment because what you see in the indictment, paragraph 61, 62 principally, is Trump and his attorney are discussing the fact that there's a subpoena for documents. And Trump says, well, I want to be there when you search the documents, you know, to oversee it. And Corkin says, fine, I'll be there on June 1st or June 2nd. 
And um, I think that conversation was like on May 23rd. And they say, great, all right, we'll, we'll meet you down there. In that intervening period, what is alleged in the indictment is that Trump and Walt Natto, his body man, as they called him, right. removed documents from the place that they knew Corcoran would be searching. They didn't tell Corcoran they moved boxes. Corcoran goes down there and conducts this search, thinking that this is the total universe of documents. And then they issue a letter, letter. which says, we did a thorough search and we have nothing more to report. They didn't tell him, nor did they tell the government, that a full search was not, in fact, conducted because they hid documents <laughs> from the searchers, which is why when ultimately a search warrant for the property is issued, they find those documents that they had removed from the storage bin in his office and in, in other locations around. So that scheme to deceive also is a very compelling part of this case. Yeah, and, and and John, as we all know, some of those documents were found in a bathroom that has a chandelier in it, and that's there. Been, there are some who say that's a crime in and of itself. You, you and I have Pardon, you haven't been in John's places. He's yeah, got, a chandelier, got a chandelier too. It's, it's that sconce that got me. It's I not the chandelier. Chandeliers in my <laughs> John, you've been patiently waiting. Now we've covered pretty much what happened. Um, let's talk a little bit about what the fallout of it, because you and I are well aware of, of the fallout from Donald Trump. When he pushed back, look, I'm going to go back to something that's in the indictment. There were two things that Donald Trump said. This is in uh, point number 22 in the uh, in, in the indictment, uh, where they note that he said in August of 2016, Trump stated, in my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws Concerning the protection of classified information, no one will be above the law. And he also said in September of 2016, we can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. I, I guess we got both of those. Someone who thinks he's above the law and someone who doesn't understand the meaning of classified or doesn't care. Were you surprised at all, John, at the reaction from Donald Trump? No, not at all. I, <laughs> the only thing that I was uh, shocked in Trump's reaction was um, uh, his appearance uh, last night, his second appearance of the day in North Carolina at the at the state uh, Republican uh, convention. He was in Georgia earlier. I didn't get a chance to uh, to watch the Georgia event, but I did as long as I could. I hung in last night with the North Carolina uh, event and and the one thing shocking to me was he was really subdued. You could tell he's tired. I mean, he's going to get arrested again uh, on Tuesday. Um, so that was the only thing. I, I thought he might be a little more uh, fiery um, than he was yesterday. So that surprised me. And 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 usually with Trump, uh, that that does show that he is worried and things things can get to him. And and this one clearly has gotten to him. But, you know, some of the the defense that he's trying to mount and Republicans, some Republican lawmakers, especially House members um, who are worried about getting primaried from the right, and that continues to be their 
you know, it's it's not all the time that that they feel this loyalty to Trump. They just don't want him to primary them because they're in they're in pretty right. safe districts. So, um, you know, they're they're claiming that the Presidential Records Act somehow um, supersedes the Espionage Act and and will protect him. But as as you and Michael just walked through, that does not appear to be the case. Uh, one thing that that Republicans are just ignoring, and you and Michael also alluded to this, is the severity of the documents. I've heard this uh, by other legal experts and, and intelligence, former intelligence officials say some of this stuff sounds like the crown, what they call the crown jewels of intelligence. I mean, you're talking about vulnerabilities of of, of military troops and, and you know, the, the, the planes they fly and maybe the subs they're in or the vehicles. Uh, these things are highly sophisticated pieces of equipment. They can be hacked. They're, they're, they, you know, they're connected to a network, so you can get in there. Uh, we try to hack. You know, I'm sure we're trying to hack Russian, uh, or help the Ukrainians hack Russian um, military equipment. So, I mean, that's part of the game now. So that's just one example of what a vulnerability could be. It could be, you know, the F-35's operating system, you know, has a back door, and and it could be something like that. That's just an example. And and you know, the the Iranian uh, information. Um, is it raises all kinds of questions. Maggie Haberman uh, from the New York Times had a uh, a pretty interesting piece yesterday um, where you know she points out that what we don't see in the indictment is any evidence or speculation or even kind of flicking at what was Trump's motivation for taking the documents, uh, hiding them in various places at Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster. And and then being so resistant to giving them back, um, right. a lot of people might want some information about Iranian, um, for example, like the Saudis who he was meeting uh, with at, at, at and, you know, so It raises a lot of questions. Now, the indictment doesn't go there. Uh, it, But as Maggie points out and, and the sources she talked to. Uh, for a criminal trial, it it doesn't really have to. They, they might not have to prove um what what Trump's motivation might have been, but Maggie makes an interesting point. I think she's right. Chris Christie has made this point. She she quotes Chris Christie, who jumped in the uh, Republican primary, um, that Trump. It looks like if there is no, for example, conversation with uh, Mohammed bin Salman or or someone like that about these documents, that they were just trophies for Trump, and. Well, you, know, you and Maggie, I both know that that's his yeah. his his yeah. mo. I I can right. well imagine that it's just about look what I've got. Isn't this cool? Right. So that's it. And 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 he's he's mentioning these documents uh, to to folks who were working on a uh, an autobiography of his former chief of staff Mark Meadows, and he's showing a random employee who works for his political action committee um, a classified map of a foreign adversary we can also we could speculate um for good reason that that might be iran as well uh with you know nuclear facilities or what have you so yeah he's just waving this stuff around and and maggie makes the point that it's also a way for him to kind of remind people that he used to have this stature and he used to get these documents and he's still important so if he wasn't using them for profit or trying to and they were just trophies and thanks everyone for bearing with me i'm from the south so i tell <laughs> a story long to me when you read this indictment and knowing trump by now as everyone does 
this is such an unforced error. And these charges, these we're talking decades. Now, a former president might be sentenced differently. We can get into that maybe. But these charges, these are decades for each charge in federal prison. What an unforced error. And I said in a note to you guys, and believe it or not, if you're listening out there, there is some preparation for this. So I said <laughs> in a note to, to Brian and, uh, and Michael uh, yesterday, this reminds me of what one of my high school football coaches always said. You know, we're going to we're going to do the fundamentals. We're going to be fundamentally right. sound. We might get beat Friday night, but we're not going to lose stupid. We're not going to go out there and make a bunch of mistakes and beat ourselves. Trump has just beat himself. Just, he's committed the ultimate unforced error here. He is in deep, deep trouble because of his so own actions. But right. And he has no one to blame but Donald John Trump. <clears throat> and he won't so blame make, Donald John Trump. Never. Now, can I make a statement and ask a question? Yes, you may. Is, uh, they're both directed to John Bennett. First, I take offense at the notion that you think I'm prepared for this podcast. <laughs> um, he, just the, to the listening audience, he's only speaking for himself. <laughs> just like Trump. No way am I prepared. <laughs> I, I didn't do it. <laughs> but the second, but the, the serious. My apologies, the, Michael. <laughs> okay. It's okay. We don't know each other that well. Yeah. Uh, um, the the um, but the serious question I want to ask is because I haven't been following it because it's political so much as what has been the response of our elected representatives who are in the intelligence community who understand the seriousness of these seriousness of these documents, not the Democrats, the Republicans. What has uh, that, that's a whole topic of discussion in the second uh, block. <laughs> is it, well, then maybe, maybe we should transition. He really didn't block. prepare. <laughs> well, I thought we were in the second block. No, no, right? no. We're getting ready. There's a couple of things I want to go over in, in the rest of this before all we get right, to that all issue. Right. We'll, we'll stay tuned for John's <laughs> explanation of so explanation right. of that. So it's what I team. wanted to hit on it, before we go to break was the notion, and, and Michael can speak to this as well. Uh, we've heard some of the reaction and, and John, you and I are well, have expected some of this reaction. Um, we're a banana Republic because we're prosecuting this guy. There's a two tiered legal system. If they can do this to Donald Trump, then they can do this to anyone, which I always say, well, yeah, technically that's true. It's called no one's above the law, but, um, and that, um, we, we touched a little bit on the presidential records act, but the notion that somehow, this is the corrupt Biden administration going mm -hmm. after. This is all political. Mm -hmm. But it, for it, let's just go quickly, Michael, if you can, and touch on that issue because a lot of people are using that. Biden did this. This is what Biden did, and that, and in fact, uh, it was Mike Pence, I believe, or someone who said they wanted um, they wanted Merrick Garland to step out from behind the shadows and claim his his victory for the Biden administration and doing this, the corrupt department of justice did this. That's not how a grand jury operates. Now it's true that grand juries only hear the side of the prosecution before they decide to in, indict. But for those who don't understand what the hell happens in a grand jury uh, situation, Michael quickly, if you could just go through that and, and let us know why this isn't the Biden administration going after Donald Trump. So backing up, there's an investigation that's ongoing. And remember, what's an important sort of 
footnote in all this, Trump says, well, they're going after me for political purposes because I'm the leading Republican candidate. Well, of course, this investigation began prior to his announcement that he was going to be running for office. And so the fact that you announce that you're running for office can't derail an ongoing criminal investigation. Otherwise, everyone should announce that they're running for president <laughs> and, and ask that the charges against them um, be suspended. I love uh, that. <laughs> Garland, Garland um, is investigating this case. That really, the FBI isn't just is investigating this case under um, Ray, uh, the FBI director who Trump appointed. And yep. they're investigating this case. And Garland says, you know, this would be better off from a political blowback perspective if I appoint a special counsel to investigate this matter, sort of like Mueller was appointed, to make sure that there's a level of insulation between the investigation and the, the truly appointed political operatives, me, Garland. Right. So Jack Smith is appointed and he is running this investigation. Now, under the statute, technically speaking, Garland can overrule him. We saw Barr do that in the Mueller investigation. Barr overruled Mueller's determination that there was a, a viable obstruction case that could be fleshed out further once the president leaves office, but Barr slammed the door shut on that. So Jack Smith is doing this investigation and he determines based on the evidence that we've just been talking about that an indictment is warranted. I expect under the statute, he said to Garland, I'm going to indict. And Garland said, you know, you're in charge. I have no reason to impose my views over yours. And so the indictment was was issued. And so, yes, it's the Justice Department that Garland is in charge of. But Gar Garland smartly isolated himself from decision making in in this case and so the notion that this is political uh politically motivated just doesn't have a factual predicate for it what right. the factual <laughs> predicate is in this case is look at the indictment look what he did would anybody in america from the the lowest guy to the to the highest woman would anyone not be charged for this conduct? And the answer is everyone would be charged for this conduct. And we've seen this happen before with Sandy Berger, who was national security advisor, with General Petraeus, who was you know, a, a decorated general. People get charged when they take classified documents and they when don't they break the law when they're, when they're asked. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's not a complicated proposition. And when no. you look at, as we discussed it, you look at the nature of the documents themselves, the fact that he shared them with others and the scheme to prevent the DOJ from uh, accessing them, I, I think an indictment, uh, the the failure to indict would be a would be a far more political decision than the decision to indict, which really is the bread and butter of these types of espionage act. And as yeah. And as as Jack Smith said when he came out and made his brief statement, it was the grand jury who heard the uh, the the um, the uh, heard everything, all the evidence, and voted to indict. This was this was twelve lay people on a on a grand jury that was uh, empowered 
and impaneled to to hear the evidence that they had gathered. So it's not it in it that's even further removed from you know from Jack Smith and from from uh, the Attorney General. Switching a bit though, what you said about um about it uh john being an unforced error you and i both know having covered congress and the president for years look this and and to your point michael at the end of when somebody leaves office right you know like particularly a president he's in there on the morning of the inauguration till about noon he leaves and and then there's the inauguration and in about four hours time they come in and they pack, I mean, loads of trucks come in, hundreds of people come in, and like that, they unload, move out, and bring in the new president. It's not, it, it's a quick and dirty thing, and often when people move, all of us have moved, you know, when you move your belongings, some stuff gets mixed up. Sure, they're going to go through, you're, you're, you're going to pack things up and go, oh, those are some classified documents. I, I shouldn't take them with me. But God knows what's going to be in a folder or a box somewhere that's unseen, and they just pack it away. They've been very, you know, the, the archives people are very uh, uh, lenient on it. They just say, look, all right, so we we went through, Mr. President, after you left, and this, this, and this that was signed out to you is missing. Would you please return it? And everybody goes, yeah, sure. Or they don't ask, like in the case of of uh, Biden and e even Mike Pence, they don't ask until months, maybe years later, going through it. They go, hey, you still got this crap. We need it back. And everybody goes, oh shit, sorry, yeah, here it is. I, you know, I, it's been in my garage next to my Corvette for thirty years. I don't know. It's all yours. Donald Trump is the only guy who said first. He said that he didn't have it, right? He sent out a, a letter right. saying he didn't have it, which was a lie that we see in the indictment. And then two, he said it was all the FBI putting it up on, you know, it's a put up job by the FBI. And then he famously said, yeah, I got it. It's mine. It's all mine. In fact, everything is mine. And it's only because of, as you said, an unforced error. But nonetheless, for people who don't understand, and John, you can help clear that up. This is not the, the National Archives being a bunch of Nazis going after the guy. It's right. it's the fact that on June 30th, he said, fuck you, I don't have anything else, go away. Yes? Yes. Uh, to your point about when presidents move out, it is quick and dirty, but this was quicker and dirtier uh, than other presidents because of he didn't want to leave. We all witnessed <laughs> January 6th. We've heard the not so perfect phone call with the Georgia secretary of state, find me 11,800 and however many votes. Um, so he tried to stay. <laughs> he, he, he didn't want to go. He wanted to stay in office. So, um, and he's not a planner, you know, he's an in the moment kind of guy. And, you know, we were probably both uh, talking to, to his aides uh, at the time, the ones who were still there, the ones who stayed after January 6th, they were trying to get him, to start packing up because he had to leave and he was resistant so it was it was it was last minute what was packed up and 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 put out on west exec avenue for you know our colleagues with cameras uh to go out and and document it they, they stacked it all out there so that was the last stuff from the west wing anyway uh and you know the residents that's done a little more privately obviously uh, but so so that was quicker and dirtier. So you could understand 
why some materials, you know, might have been in in one of in the study upstairs, or you know, he used the dining room as a as an office off the uh, the Oval Office a lot. That's of course where he allegedly threw ketchup on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think on January sixth or, or somewhere around there, uh, it all runs. Yeah, it wasn't blood, folks. That was ketchup. So you could see then, you could see then how some documents might, you know, that this report from from the CIA or or, or this map from DOD might have gotten mixed in with some stuff. Okay, like you said, NARA, uh, the the the, the uh, Records Administration, you know, they're lenient. Okay, just give it back. And, right. and no harm, no foul. Okay, but you and I, Brian, for four years at the White House saw boxes loaded onto Marine One <laughs> every week. And I said to you- Yes, and, you did. Uh, one of our colleagues- To on Jim Acosta. What the, and, and, and Eamon Jabbers from CNBC. I would say, there. guys, what the hell do you Early think in those boxes? In those boxes? <laughs> well, now we know. Yes, because and, we saw them sitting in a bathroom. <laughs> right, and they're, a the chandelier. Same, <laughs> they're the same white and brown bankers boxes that we saw- sitting in front of the TJ Maxx shower curtain at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, so I'm not surprised that this happened because, I mean, you know. Well, you I know what was surprising I, to us, to me, was that yeah, I'm going, this is secret information, this is classified information, and it looks like what happened when I cleaned out my college dorm room. Mm -hmm. I mean, they yeah. were in those this cheap is, ass boxes. <laughs> <laughs> this is he you know and i thought he, they'd be in locked down the containers it'd be something like out of a movie but it, it was it was out of animal house <laughs> well when you read the indictment it's you, you you know you could i i would recommend everyone stretching because you can really hurt your neck shaking your head as you read through this <laughs> thing uh have the icy hot handy because it's <laughs> just it's just like what in the hell was he thinking and we see that that he, you know, he it's it's suggestion with Trump a lot. He didn't say the words to his attorney like, you know, lied to DOJ, but he he allegedly kind of uh, suggested that they lied to the FBI, that he didn't have. Well, he lied to his attorney. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. He's never been a great client. He lost two lawyers this week. So this is just a long way, again, of saying that we saw this happening. This is Donald Trump. You and I witnessed this happening. I probably have a picture on my phone from. I I do. I went through and looked at them. I'm going. Yeah, I recognize that bank box. Right. <laughs> Boxes were streaming out of the White House for four years. They talked. There's one exchange where um, one of his family members, probably maybe one of his sons, uh, maybe Jared or Ivanka, um, but someone said there's that there they, <laughs> with all the boxes and staff luggage and everything that there were more boxes that they needed to get to Mar-a-Lago, but there was no room on the plane. <laughs> I've seen Air Force One. It's a big plane. So yeah, yeah. just the amount of I've material, been on Air Force One. It's a huge plane. It's a 747. Yeah. The amount of material that that flowed, it didn't trickle, that flowed out of the White House in those four years, It's it happened right in front of us. Um, but, you know, we didn't think that he was going to gonna keep the crown jewels about sources and methods. I mean, we take that very seriously. These are people in foreign countries, some scary places, some rough places, putting their lives on the line, putting their families' lives on the line to give us information. And and it says right there in the indictment that he had those types of of materials. Yeah. And it's just it's just stunning. And he would have been told 
when he came into office, now maybe he didn't listen because we know he used to doodle and used to write down nicknames for politicians while he was getting his intel briefing. So maybe he didn't listen, but they would have told him, sir, this is what TSCI means. This is what this yeah. means. And and here's why we treat these documents this way. Um, and he and he obviously care. either didn't listen or didn't care. And you or gotta both. Go with the latter. Yeah, or both. And probably yeah. the latter because he wanted the trophies. Right. So can I add one thing, Brian? Yeah. And, and then. Yeah. And uh, then we'll go to break. Yeah. And that way I can get to ask uh, Bennett my question about one of the. Yes. Intel when we come back. Yes. <laughs> so I can give us a, a good segue. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the, the one thing is, and I said this earlier, that if this case were one in which in the waning hours of the waning hours, in the waning hours of the administration, they packed up everything in a box and, and shipped it off without really knowing what's in there. Then, you know, if they say, well, you know, you have this stuff and they go back and forth about whether he's entitled to it or not, entitled to it, you think, well, that's probably not a crime. That's sloppiness. But right. what the indictment outlines is that in the mind of the prosecutors, after these documents were in Mar-a-Lago, and the records office and then the DOJ was asking for them, that Trump curated them. He went through the yes. boxes to to see what was there. So it's not like they were just boxes in, in, in a basement and who the hell knows what's in them, but rather these were boxes in a basement, which were then looked through and picked through, curated and picked through. And then there's one... Um, paragraph in the indictment which we'll have to see what it really means but Corcoran does a search of the uh, storage unit he thinks it's a full search but it turns out not to be because we discussed that Trump and and Walt Natto took boxes out and never told uh, the attorney that they did that so he pulls out 38 documents and he puts them in a red well and he says to his client, the president, former president, we got these 38 documents that I've got to return. And Trump says, is there anything in there that's bad? And and if there is, he suggests that he makes, according to the indictment, he makes a, a motion, like a plucking motion. Can you pull the bad documents out before you return them? Now, of course, he'll say that was a joke. Right. Um, but we'll see how the testimony comes in. If the attorney to whom he was speaking did not believe it was a joke, but rather that this was consistent with the conversation that they had about um, the, uh, how these documents would be handled, that's a pretty telling piece of evidence yes. of itself that he was asking him, even after the search, perhaps to pull out some of the, the the more damning ones. And of course that goes with another statement in the indictment where he, he asked the question Trump does of his lawyer, wouldn't it be better for us if we said we had no documents at all? And again, you can argue this two ways. You can argue when Trump says something like that, he is like many other clients asking his lawyer, what are, what are my rights? Can I, can I just say no? Can I uh, stonewall like I did, you know, throughout all the investigations while I was president? What are my rights? That's very normal conversations between a defendant 
and and their lawyer. If, however, the conversation is not an innocent question from lawyer from client to lawyer, but rather, how can we stonewall this? How can we deny them this? Because that's my intention. Because I got no intention of cooperating. Then it's a different. Then that conversation is different, and that is going to be wholly dependent on how the evidence comes in. And one of the witnesses in chief in this case is going to be his former attorney, Corcoran, who remember, had the attorney-client privilege breached, breached. because a, jar, a judge found that those conversations were crime-fraud exceptions to the attorney-client privilege. So some judge said that conversation was criminal. So and, we'll have to see how the evidence comes in. And with that, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and it is all Trump all the time special issue this week because of the historic indictment. And this is a federal indictment. Uh, Donald Trump has set all kinds of historic precedents. He always wanted to be a historic uh, president, and by God, he has been. First to be impeached twice, first to be indicted after he left office for a felony, uh, first to be found uh, guilty in a civil action uh, against him for sexual harassment uh, and now the first president indicted by a federal grand jury this went out of his his uh, adopted home state of florida for uh 38 counts we haven't even mentioned the number of counts involving a, a bunch of different things including conspiracy to obstruct justice for hiding and lying about having <clears throat> classified information after he left office. Interestingly enough, the two cases he has been indicted for so far, um, the first one in Manhattan is for stuff that happened before he became president. This indictment at a federal level is what happened after he left office. And we are still looking at um, investigations into things that happened while he was in office regarding the election in 2020 and, of course, the insurrection on January 6th of 2021. Back again with me are John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. Michael, you had a question before we went to the break for John. We'll kick off this section. And what we're talking about here, folks, and in this part of it is the effect on the race. And the, the this would be the effect on the GOP nomination for uh, president. And also the effect that this has on uh, the United States internationally. Uh, if you're a MAGA fan, you believe that this is, we are now a banana republic. And uh, if you're not, you don't. But, and, and that being a banana republic, we have actually gone down in the eyes of the world for indicting Donald Trump. But having traveled the world, I'll kick that off by saying that's bullshit. But go ahead, Michael, your question for John. So my question for John is, how are the Republicans in the intelligence community 
responding to this indictment? Well, we haven't heard a lot from, um, you know, Senate Republicans who are on, you know, the Intelligence Committee. Most of the defense right now is is coming from uh, the House side of the Capitol. All of it. But, on, but among, I'm mostly interested, John, in the intelligence people, not not the obvious defenders, the Matt Gateses and the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff, but people whose responsibilities in Congress, House or Senate side, Republicans are ha are responding to this. And and, the, and I guess the related question is, is the silence of the Lindsey Grahams, if there is silence, uh, telling in and of itself? That is telling in and of itself, is it not, John? I mean, both of us know them pretty damn well. And if well, they were going to defend him, they'd be out there doing it. Graham is out there defending him. He was on yeah. uh, one of the Sunday shows this morning. Graham, uh, Graham essentially says that 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 there was there was no uh, crime here, and that it's not worth uh, indicting a former president um, over this. And it says it won't. And Graham says it won't change his support of Trump, and he. Uh, he is still backing uh, Trump's presidential uh, third presidential bid. So you're hearing a lot of that. Uh, you know, we haven't heard a lot from from former uh, Republican, you know, intelligence officials. And, and that is interesting that we haven't heard that. Usually silence means um, with Trump that they don't want to criticize him. So right. They just try. They just try to stay quiet or or you know, or they no comment or they um, mostly right now from those types of people, they're 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 trying to kind of have it both ways, not criticizing Trump's actions, but criticizing DOJ and the FBI and Jack Smith and also trying some whataboutism, you know, what about Joe Biden? You know, Mike Pence has been cleared of wrongdoing for the documents that that he found, classified documents that he found that he um mistakenly took from his vice president office um there's still uh, the doj is still investigating the biden classified documents that he took from his time as vice president um so you know that's that is that gives trump he you know he just seems to always have an an out now whether this out works or not we'll find out but um you know he does get to go around saying joe biden is all is being investigated for the same thing it's not the same thing but that's what Trump's going to say. And that's what you're hearing from Republicans right now, even some who are on committees that do oversight of the intelligence and defense uh, worlds. Uh, you know, they're just trying to flip it and, and say that even though what Trump did was was wrong and, you know, they tiptoe up to saying really dumb, uh, that it's just not worth charging. And, and now they're saying that Biden has politicized DOJ and the FBI, and oh, by the way, it's against his most likely general election opponent. So that's what they're trying to do now. They, you know, you have the Jim Jordans of the world out there saying uh, that 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 Biden is is pulling the strings here, and of course, the president says he, since he took office, hasn't told DOJ to do anything about anything. Right. So that's what they're trying to do now. And, and I, you know, I, I don't think Republicans have, have stuck the landing yet on their counter argument. Um, no, they haven't. Sunday. It's only Sunday. They'll get there.
Yeah, that's and Michael and John. Let here's the question. You know, to your to answer your question, Michael, is those in the intelligence community or uh, that are doing it. Uh, <clears throat> here's the reaction. Who appointed Ray? We answered that question. Yeah, previously, if you if you were listening. Uh, it, it, I'm making that point. <laughs> yes. That point he, is, yeah, who appointed Ray? Yeah. It was Donald Trump. Donald Trump, yeah. Exactly. There's, the, there's your answer. The people who know and care are the ones who brought the indictment against him. For well, those who fact, have political hay to make about it are going to try and do it. The question I have going forward is, why aren't his opponents in this race on the Republican side, other than Chris Christie, who has come out, and and gone after him. Why are not Mike Pence? Mike Pence? Hell, they were going to kill him. He's the one. He's the one kissing butt the the greatest. And the answer, of course, and John, you and I, and Michael, you all know this. The answer, of course, is they want the money and the support that Donald Trump has from that extreme right, and that's why they're not going after him. And you know what's interesting, which reminded me of what I'm going to say from what you just said, is that in this trial, like in the January 6th hearings, the witnesses that are going to be called are essentially all Trump people, people who worked at, at Mar-a-Lago, the people that worked for him um, as his attorneys. Um, this is not going to be a trial that's made up of Trump haters. These are right. Trump, Trump people who have decided that telling the truth is more important than political fealty. Um, so you just, the argument is so uncompelling when you think about uh, all of the things that we've talked about, uh, but yet he's presumed innocent until he's convicted, unless he's convicted, and he has his right to defense. And I'm very glad that the Justice Department the special counsel released the indictment when they did, that they didn't wait until Tuesday to allow uh, a one-sided narrative by the president and his supporters to, to bake in. Now, yeah, to get we see, now we see the, the scope of the indictment early on. So all of the conversation has to take account of what's in the indictment, not just the political uh, rantings of the uh, acolytes. Uh, John. Well, the politics of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, these they're part yeah, of the, so, hum, the human, the political human centipede in the Republican Party. Garbage in, garbage out. Well, this does. I mean, this does. It it does change the race uh, immediately. I think. Uh, and remember, we've got two trials possibly between now and election day, so it's hard to really forecast the the general but right now um this only helps trump paradoxically in the primary because the more charges the more investigations he only gains strength he and he he's put in most polls he's put about 10 percentage points between himself and ron DeSantis uh since he was charged in manhattan yeah. and and you know in a way that trial and and we talked about it here and, you know, I, I think Michael and I know other legal experts have, have said they wouldn't have charged in that case. So now that trial is, I don't know how they're going to rack and stack these things schedule wise, but 
you know, that trial could kind of be in the way uh, if it goes first, then, you know, th that could delay the documents trial until, I mean, we would be, we could be in the thick of the general election. Um, and, and Donald Trump is, it's sitting in a courtroom in Miami. So how's he going to campaign if he has, if he has to be in the courtroom, he might not have to be there every day. Um, so, you know, it, it just raises a lot of questions um, about, about how the race is going to play out. You know, he, he was an active campaigner in 2016, very active, less so as president. There was COVID of course in 2020, but it's harder for a president to move around with, with that giant footprint. Right. Um, so, you know, how, how is he, how is, and, and is, is he going to be as engaged um, on the campaign trail if he's worried about going to federal prison or, you know, being on house arrest at Mar-a-Lago for the rest of his life with an ankle bracelet while he's on the third tee? Um, <laughs> there's how, a visual, how, there's a visual right there. <laughs> you know, how's that going to, how, how's that going to affect his short game when, yeah, it's, when the ankle It'll throw bracelet. him off, his balance will be off, he's going to, he's going to yeah. be chipping a lot of shots. So yeah, I think it will change Trump as a candidate. Um, again, he was different last night in North Carolina. He he was just subdued. I watched uh, that. I, You're right. Yeah. Dare I say, low energy to to borrow a, a a Trump nickname for Jeb Bush. So you know, I think it will change him as a candidate, and he'll still you know, the one thing that he has over over every other candidate that's in this race, including Joe Biden is Trump walks in with, you know, 38 to 43% of, of his party locked in no matter what. And right. They'll turn out, they'll vote. This is, this is still about independent voters. And once we get some polling data, you know, I would give it a week here. Let's let him get arrested and, and do the perp walk down in Miami and, and he'll have to sit in the courtroom again. You know, the next couple sets of, of, of polling data uh, for independent voters and, you know, some some of those moderate Republican voters who who voted for Biden because they had Trump fatigue. Let's see how they feel about this, because I'm not that blown away that, you know, 80 percent of Republicans think this or 80 percent of Republicans think he should still be president, even if he's convicted, because they're you know, this is going to be another turnout election, but it's really going to swing again on those independent voters those moderate Republicans who went for Biden. Um, let's see in the next few weeks how they're feeling about this once everyone digests it and we go through the shock of seeing a former president arrested and, and in the courtroom again, because in those six or eight states, and I know I sound like a broken record, but it's still going to come down to those six to eight states and it's going to be those independent voters and those moderate Republicans. And again, it, it's 100,000 people the last few elections, 100,000 people in, in, in six or eight states in a, in a country this big, that's not a lot of folks. So oddly, it's kind of backwards to think Donald Donald Trump could still be the next president, uh, despite all of this. And he the first, he'll set history again. The first president with an ankle bracelet on. <laughs> right. There you go. I mean, we can't you can't rule anything out at this point. And he told Politico, a Politico reporter was was one of the handful, small handful on his plane as he traveled to Georgia, North Carolina yesterday. And he told Politico, I quote, I will never leave, end quote. So he's not going to step off the political stage. That just tells me he will. Honestly, every time he states something definitively, he ends up doing invariably the very thing he said that he would not do. 
right? I mean, we've seen that time and again. I, we I have don't... seen, that, and that's yeah, that's where I was going. Is, is yeah. oh, you know, I'm sorry. One, it, it's one thing to say that to a reporter in you know in the midst of of this, and I've never been arrested, but I'm sure he's freaking out at on some level, um, deep in the recesses of of his of his brain. But it's another thing, you know, at some point in this process to be presented with a plea deal that may state that he would that he'll drop out of the race and never seek office again and and he won't face any actual prison time. It's one thing to say to a reporter, it's another thing um to take some kind of plea deal where you get to play golf and run your business and and step off the stage and you know, we could see that at some point. At, at least presented to him um by DOJ. Now whether he would take it could depend on his mood that day. Yeah, the, amen. Amen. Michael? Look, I think that we just have to let this thing play out. And um, that's see, the Justice Department see, working, yes? Yeah. See how people begin to understand what is going on here. You know, you always get these immediate responses. And then it begins to sink in a little bit about what's going on here. And so I'm interested to see, as John is, in a few weeks' time, after an arraignment and the case sort of settles down and becomes preparation for a trial, what people have to say about it then. Right now we're in the, uh, you know, sort of the emotional stage. I'm waiting a little bit longer for the um, the group that John is worried about, the um, independent voters in swing states, how they begin to uh, socialize what's happened here. All right. Let's move on to the, the last thing before we get uh, this last break is internationally. There's been a lot of consternation from the far right and from Donald Trump saying this shows us as a weak nation. We are now a a, a, a nation of, you know, a banana republic, a puppeteer type government, but does it not indicate that no one is above the law by holding him accountable for breaking the law? Well, Anybody I think that I think that's right. And in fact, I was while we were um, talking, I was looking at the question I posed to the internet of Western democracies who have charged former leaders with crimes. And you see France has done it twice. South Korea has done it twice. Israel has done it. Brazil has done it. Mexico has has done it. So there's a long history of, and this is not, you know, sort of South Africa has done it. This is not, you know, sort of retribution when there's a political party change. This is in the ordinary course when you're the former president of France and you're found to be engaged in corrupt financial um, dealings, as was the case with Nicholas Sarkowski, he was sentenced to a year in prison. Uh, it, it happens. That's what actually uh, a mature democracy does. It doesn't give the corrupt former leader a pass because he was a former leader. They hold everyone accountable. Um, 
and then you don't get uh do not go to jail card simply because of the office you held. That would be uh, in, 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 in an immature democracy. Right. I agree, John. Yeah, I can't say it much better than that. Yeah, this is the system at work. Uh, Trump's argument that uh, this could happen to, you know, to anyone to, you know, um, uh, for instance, a 70 year old retired teacher in Georgia. Um, I'm thinking, you know, of the, the kind of the average Trump voter. Well, the problem with that, and I don't know why more uh, of his supporters don't think about this. Well, this isn't going to happen to me because I don't have access to the intelligence crown jewels. So that, it's an argument that doesn't make any sense to me because the average person couldn't commit this crime. Um, that the, the reason they're coming after Donald Trump is is he allegedly violated the Espionage Act and was part of a conspiracy and obstructed justice. And, you know, you were the three of us. We, we couldn't have committed those alleged crimes because we don't have access to the documents. Um, so that's that's been a little uh, a little confusing to me. Um, but but this is the system working. And and if he committed these crimes, these are very serious uh, allegations, um, then he should be punished. It's not a two-tier justice system to hold him accountable to justice. It's uh, that's uh, yeah. We're going to take another short break, and when we come back, a few. Uh, well, we we have to at least touch on one thing that could have an effect on the on future races, and that is a Supreme Court decision. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about something other than Donald Trump. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me again, once again, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call. We've taken up much of the time today and have a few minutes left, but there is one thing that actually could impinge upon uh, future races and even, you know, maybe Donald Trump's race. The Supreme Court ruled this past week. It struck down um, a piece of legislation that would, in fact, hurt uh, voting rights. And so I'm going to let you unpack that quickly, Michael, uh, what the Supreme yeah. Court did. And does it take effect in 2024 or is it uh, will it take place afterwards? Right. So at issue in this case was a redistricting by Alabama to to essentially, according to the plaintiffs, the ones who ended up winning the case, water down the power of the black vote in Alabama. What they did was after the 2020 consensus, the Republican controlled legislator, legislature drew new district lines, and those district lines 
packed essentially all of the black voters into one congressional district and then spread the remaining in other districts so they had little chance of, of winning. And so the Alabama uh, congressional coalition was set up so that there'd be only one black representative, even though blacks in Alabama represent nearly 30% of the, of the population. Alabama uh, was sued for this and the trial court three judge panel that included two Trump appointed judges found that the state legislative plan was illegal racial gerrymandering, gerrymandering. And the case went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in a surprising victory for voting rights in a 5-4 decision in which the, the three liberal justices were joined by Kavanaugh and Roberts found that yes, in fact, what Alabama did here was illegal racial gerrymandering under the Voting Rights Act. And they said that the, the, that congressional district redrawing could not stand. And they asked, they told them to redraw it, which is going to likely result in a second con Democrat congressional seat in Alabama. You asked the question of whether this has legs in other jurisdictions. And I think the answer clearly is yes. We saw the same thing happen in um, North Carolina. They redrew the maps. North Carolina has a seven to seven uh, congressional uh, uh, groupings, seven Democrats, seven, seven Republicans. And the way the Republicans redrew the maps for the upcoming election, it looks like it would now be... Um, 10-4 in favor of the Republicans. And so they're going to get sued over that redrawing. And hopefully the courts will, looking at this as controlling precedent, say, yes, North Carolina, what you did here is illegal racial gerrymandering. And there that exists in, in other case, in other states as well. And so this was a very big win for voters. Yeah. And, and and a surprising one at that, because if you remember a few years back, Shelby County was a case that was um, authored by uh, Chief Justice Roberts. And in that case, what the Civil Rights Acts required was that before the voting laws could be changed in a state that had a history of racial discrimination, principally the South, um, they had to get pre-clearance by a court. What Robert said is, we've come a long way and we don't need that pre-clearance and struck it down. Of course, as soon as they struck down the pre-clearance, all of these Southern states started with their voter ID laws and, and started limiting the access of uh, minorities to, to voting. So, so much for John Roberts that we've come a long, right. a long way. <laughs> we don't have poll taxes, but we have the modern equivalent of it. So everyone expected that this was going to be the the death knell of voting rights, but it turns out that Roberts thought otherwise, and now we have the opportunity for congressional um, districts to be evaluated um, under a more strict standard, and that should be very good for democracy, irrespective and, of whether or not you're a Republican or a Democrat. The the notion and it, that, does it take that, place that, in 2024? Can it? Will, it will, does. Will, yeah, I mean the the Alabama one have they have to they have to start redrawing right away. 
There you um, go. And and so yes, this was a big win in my view uh, for for democracy, and and I I think it has to be viewed uh, not through a partisan lens of does that does Alabama have one or two black congressional districts, but have we acknowledged that racial gerrymandering is not acceptable in in the United States in 2023 or ever really? So, Final thoughts, John. Well, to look at it through a partisan lens, um, this is another reason why some House Republicans and uh, Republican strategist uh, types are getting worried about their House majority. It's five seats right now. Uh, we saw uh, last week what can happen when the conservatives uh, decide to air their grievances in public with Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. Um you know, the House floor right now is has, has come to a ground stop uh, because the Republicans voted against a rule for the first time since 2002, uh, a rule which kind of dictates the debate and vote on pieces of legislation was knocked down on the floor. So right now you can't you have this Republican Party with, you know, their leader, Donald Trump, and all kinds of legal trouble. Um, the conservatives battling with McCarthy. The House isn't really functioning uh, now, that's not a big deal, but it could be in about a month when these spending bills need to get to the floor and if conservatives try to to back that up. So I think that the, 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 the Supreme Court decision is just another sign that uh, Republicans need to figure out a way to get their house in order so voters don't lose confidence. Despite all of this, in a lot of polls, when voters are asked, uh, which party do you have more confidence in to handle the economy or immigration or inflation? Republicans still come out on the plus side of those questions in a lot of polls, but that could be at risk. And then when you start redrawing House districts, you They're could screwed. see you could see a five seat majority flip, and we could have in tw January 2025, you could have Speaker Hakeem Jeffries trying to do the same thing with a five or six seat Democratic majority. So this this matters a lot when you look at the map and, and who's going to control the House. And, and that could have and, and that would have some impact up and down the ballot. I'm thinking about state and local races yeah. as well. So um, when you play this out and, and you connect all these dots, um, there's a lot of reasons for Republicans to still feel pretty good, because like I say, voters um, have grown skeptical of, of President Biden and Democrats, but Republicans, including Trump, could really put that at risk uh, in, in the next few months. So I think, you know, McCarthy's got to figure out a way to bring these conservatives in. Um, but the problem, even if he does that and the House starts passing spending bills and messaging bills, um, Trump is still going to hang over all of that and what McCarthy and other Republicans want to do is, you know, they they want to have this fight about federal spending. They want to have this DeSantis like culture war debate. But it's the only way they win, it's the only way they win. But if Trump is in court every other day, that message isn't going to break through. And this is this is going to come down again. Again, I know I'm a broken record. It's going to come down to 100,000 people in six or eight states and it will be. It will be a referendum on on Donald Trump and Joe Biden, but that's what that's what House Republicans want to do. McCarthy wants to get back to these messaging bills, start passing these spending bills, uh, but it's so hard to do that when Trump just cuts through everything. 
And with that, we have run out of time for today. I'm, I'll end on this. It was just uh, this morning, a, a former attorney, journey, attorney General Bill Barr said on Fox, of no less, even if half of it is true, he is toast. Stay tuned. We'll roast some toast next week. Uh, my, on behalf of Michael Zeldin, John Bennett, myself, I am Brian Karam. I want to thank you for joining us for Just Ask the Question. We'll catch you next time.